This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to the Unfiltered Podcast. This is episode 13. In today's episode, Nikki, a professional counselor and therapist, will answer these five questions from our community. 1. I am three weeks away from going no contact with my abuser. I can't use the grey rock method because it triggers narcissistic rage. A close friend of mine told me that she provides her abuser with small amounts of admiration to reduce the amount of abuse she is experiencing and told me it has worked. Are there any other sneaky techniques like this that I can try? 2. I fall for the love bombing and honeymoon phase every single time. What are some boundaries that I can set with myself to protect me from this powerful form of manipulation? 3. I'm trying to break my trauma bond right now. What are some of the best ways that I can take care of my mental and physical health during this tough period in my life? 4. How does a narcissist behavior change as they get older and less mobile? Do they get more abusive or do they start to become more empathic? 5. What are some of the signs that I can look out for that indicate my abuser's behavior is getting more violent? I know it might sound like a silly question, but when I'm in the thick of it, I can't tell. It's all a blur. Hi, Nikki. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to speak with you again. Hi, Juliana. It's nice to be here again. Let's get started right away with these questions. So the first question is... I am three weeks away from going no contact with my abuser. I can't use the grey rock method because it triggers narcissistic rage. A close friend of mine told me that she provides her abuser with small amounts of admiration to to reduce the amount of abuse she is experiencing and told me it has worked. Are there any other sneaky techniques like this that I can try? (laughs) Yeah, there definitely are. Um... I think I'd like to address the first part of your question first, though, which is uh, that saying that grey rock doesn't work. Um, so I'm just wondering what your definition of grey rock is, if it's triggering rage. Um, it doesn't take much to trigger rage uh, in narcissists, especially if they already sense that you're withdrawing from them, which they will. So if they're raging when you're polite factual and neutral then you've got a particularly malignant narcissist on your hands there Uh, your friend's advice about lavishing praise and admiration is a good sneaky way to take the narcissist's focus off what you're doing and put it back onto themselves which is a place they far prefer to be they'll take as many compliments and ego stroking as you can possibly give them And unlike other people, they probably won't notice that that's what you're doing and get suspicious. Giving praise to a narcissist is like feeding a hungry ghost. They are a bottomless pit of greed for praise and admiration, and their mouths will always stay open for more. So if you have to take, um, have to be around this person before you go, no contact, 
then take every opportunity you can to make things like conversation, watching the television, social media posts, all that sort of stuff, any interaction, all about them. Get in before they do. So I'd suggest the rage is about losing control over you and the very sight of you or anything to do with you is going to trigger it. Stay away from them as much as you can leading up to the no contact date and make sure you have a good exit strategy for the big day. Thank you. A follow-up question. Can you see any like danger in giving these small amounts of admiration or any risks in that? Uh, in my experience, no, I, I can't imagine that there's any risk in it at all. As I said before, uh, it's likely, you know, if you were buttering up with praise and admiration, a normal person, they might suddenly sort of go, what do you want? You know, why are you doing this? But a narcissist is unlikely to notice because they think they deserve it and they just can't get enough of it. So. In my opinion, it's a low-risk manipulation strategy to use against narcissistic rage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I was, I was thinking myself that, like, what if, like, when you give those small bits of admiration, that you should try to be as sincere as possible, just to make sure that they don't, you know. Mm, figure out that hey you are not that sincere or especially what i have heard about vulnerable narcissists that they might find any any negativity in what you are trying to give them in the form of admiration and then they like might be able to create a confrontation about it and then it's again you yeah. like it can lead to that rage very quickly or something yeah, like I that can see but... your point i can see your point and yeah, uh, I mean, um, maybe if, if Juliana, if you've heard of that happening with narcissists, I can, I can imagine it happening with uh, neurotypical people. Um, but if you're dealing with a narcissist that is already extremely paranoid about the way in which people interact with them, I guess there could be a risk there. So it, like with every answer to any of these questions, it does depend on the individual narcissist. So, um, yeah, I'm thinking of, um, in particular, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking of my lived experience with a grandiose narcissist. And in that instance, um, yeah, he, 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 for 30 years, I was involved with this person, sort of managing this person with Grey Rock, and uh, he never noticed, never noticed if mm. you were being ironic or sarcastic or anything like that as long as there's no sarcastic tone in your voice mm. as long as it appears genuine um yeah okay i mean yeah the and the answer is you know you must resist anything that sounds mocking you must resist mocking them or or irony or paradox but they're likely to miss irony or paradox or you know or sarcasm in what you're saying because they'll just hear the words of praise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Um, the second question. 
I fall for the love bombing and honeymoon phase every single time. What are some boundaries that I can set with myself to protect me from this powerful form of manipulation? Yeah. So I assume since you're talking about falling for the love bombing stage that you're talking about new relationships here. So the obvious answer is to look for red flags from the outset. And the first red flag to look for is the no test. Notice how this person reacts when you say no to them or set a boundary that equates with a no. If So, for example, if you ask them not to call you after 9 p.m. and they continually call you after 9 p.m. or, you know, notice it. And if you agree to meet and they show up 30 minutes late every time, notice it. If you tell them you don't like the color yellow and they are love bombing you with gifts of things that are yellow, notice it. N you know, that's how we avoid, how we get sucked in is by not noticing, by not noticing the red flags, having these things happen and excusing them away, justifying them in some way ourselves. So if you notice them, then you're more likely to... Um, to not fall for the love bombing, including in their speech. So if you tell them that you don't want to be called baby or boyfriend or whatever, uh, some other nickname, and they keep doing it, um, notice that. So your boundaries are about how you want to be treated and how you want other people to treat you. What you will and won't accept from other people. So start as you intend to go on and refrain from compromising your own values, needs and wants early on. Be careful that you're not being either too nice, too caretaking or too compromising at the start. If you say no and they get angry or passive aggressive and have to punish you in some way, notice it and run a mile. Another red flag to notice that, you know, is hard to notice is their use of humor or their lack of respect in conversations. So if they're continually making out that they know more about every subject on the planet than you do, or make jokes that have a little offensive barb embedded in them, notice it. If they subtly put you down or make you the butt of jokes in the company of other people, notice it. You can tell when someone has no respect for you or believes they're better than you from the outset. Don't ignore these little things. So it's not so much about the boundaries you set, but what the other person's reactions to your boundaries is. You can set whatever boundaries you want. Each of us can. A lack of respect for you personally or for your gender identity, eth ethnic identity, disability identity, whatever, is very clear from the outset if you notice it thank you 
That was a great point that it doesn't really matter what boundaries you set, but you just focus on the reaction. Like it can, because um, if you set a small boundary and it gets violated right away, why would they respect the bigger boundaries or yeah, anything yeah, like that? And also that most of the narcissists I know, it does apply to certain other personality disorders as well. But um, when you set a boundary, that's what they'll actually then go for. Mm. Okay. So that's why you need to notice it. So, you know, they will, if you say, um, I don't like text conversations, suddenly you'll find that you they will want to be texting you all the time. Or if you say, um, you know, as I've already said, um, I hate it when people call me darling and they continually call you darling. They will then start calling you darling all the time. And those are the things to look out for. Sorry about my dog. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go to the third question. Um, yeah, I'm trying to break my trauma bond right now. What are some of the best ways that I can take care of my mental and physical health during this tough period in my life? Okay, so I'm sure you're probably aware that breaking trauma bonds is a grief process. And people grieve in as many different ways as there are people. In a season of grief, it's important to create good, solid foundations for getting through every day of grieving and healing. So some of the advice you might get from grief and loss counselors might seem like silly old granny stuff if you're young, but let's go over them anyway. Starting with keep a routine. Get up and go to bed at the same time of day every day so that your body restores its circadian rhythms. Eat at the same regular times and get outside for some sunshine every single day. Avoid big ups and downs like binging on coffee, alcohol, food or other substances. So try and manage all those things in a balanced way. It's the ups and downs and irregularities physically that can really cause you mental imbalance as well and then mentally you need to to give yourself as much support as you can now this is a sticking point it could be a lot of survivors of narcissistic abuse come from narcissistic families and they've never really developed the skill of self-soothing self-care, self-compassion. So we need to learn it as adults. So in order to do that, first up, give yourself permission. So put your mental health higher up on your to-do list than you normally would. It's not forever. It's just for now. And try new ways of teaching yourself to self-soothe, like mindful self-compassion training. 
So do things that have made you feel good in the past. And if those things are no longer working for you, which is very common with anxiety, depression or PTSD, then try new things. Just simple things like listening to music, going for walks, playing with the dog, going for a swim, that simple kind of granny kind of stuff. All these little well-being hacks add up to creating a good solid foundation for recovery and for grieving. Um, from an Eastern psychology point of view, you might like to include the four elements more closely in your life for a while. So they are water, fire, earth and air. Notice what your body is telling you as you hear those words, which one of those you relate to, and go and do something related to that. Be kind to yourself. Don't push yourself into work or social situations that might trigger you. Take time off social media. Snooze your mutual friends from the relationship. Resist the temptation to stalk your ex. Try not to do what you know will make you feel worse when you do it. Even though it can be really tempting and we kind of feel magnetically drawn to making our own suffering worse when we're grieving. So if you spend time looking at old photos or scrolling through old posts and other reminders of the relationship you're breaking, then make it a grieving ritual. Make it ritualistic somehow. Invent your own ritual. Breaking trauma bonds can be a long process, demanding that we tolerate a lot of emotional pain in the process. So rituals, things which alleviate or distract you from suffering, are all things to aim for as part of the grieving process. Lastly, Spend time and lots of it with people who are kind, compassionate and understanding of you. People who have your back when times are tough. And avoid people who make you feel lousy just for being you. We all have those people in our lives. Good, healthy, positive human relations are the most healing of all. I don't mean jump into a relationship lifeboat. That'll make things a lot worse. I mean make regular contact with your allies. So if I was to give you a checklist for trauma bond recovery, it would sound like this. Care for your basic well-being. Plan for difficult times. Honour that we're trauma bonded. Find new and pleasurable activities. Take care of yourself and let others care too. Stick to a treatment plan. Practice stress management. Reach out to personal faith systems if you have a personal faith. Socialize in safe places, not in unsafe places and possibly even join a narcissistic abuse support group. 
to find new people who've been through a similar experience to you. Thank you. That was a comprehensive list. <laughs> Great. Um, you mentioned that rituals and grieving, do you mean that if you find yourself overly thinking about your past relationship or the trauma bond or your situation that, or you find yourself all the time going through old photos or something, and then you said that make it a grieving ritual or grieving process, do you mean that, for example, decide that every day this time I'm going to use the time, let's say 30 minutes to go through all the photos and grieving, but then I put it aside and continue with my day? Or what do you mean by the grieving ritual? Yeah, so that would be a good example of a ritual. Um, another example of a ritual would be to create uh, a little corner of a room somewhere where there's a photo of the individual that has gone or the photo of the two of you together or any kind of photo, a place you went to and have flowers there or candles. Uh, another example of a ritual would be to, to light candles and and incense and, and turn the lights out and have a, a warm bath, an opportunity to cry and grieve over the, the lost person. Another example of a ritual would be to go to a park and um, uh, dig a hole in the ground and take some letters that were written to you by this person that you want to split from and light the letters, burn them, bury them in the hole. Any, There's anything, any, all of those things are ritualistic ways in which we can deal with the grief part of breaking trauma bonds. In terms of the rumination, that's a bit of a more complicated mental health issue. So, um, Yeah, I haven't gone into that much. Okay, thank you. Uh, let's go to the fourth question. Yeah. How does a narcissist behavior change as they get older and less mobile? Do they get more abusive or do they start to become more empathic? Mm. Yeah, there's um, there's not a lot of research on this subject, at least not that I've been able to find. Um, I can tell you anecdotally from my own lived experience and the case studies that I know about. I cared for a grandiose narcissist for 30 years, managing grey rock and limited contact really well once I was um, awake to his disorder, but it still ended badly. So from My perspective, the short answer to your question is that their behavior escalates. So they get more and more entitled and more and more abusive and filled with rage. They don't get more empathic. They can't. They don't have the wiring for it. But they might get better and better at making people take pity on them and also at mimicking the behavior of the kind, supportive, empathic people around them. In other words, they get better at fooling people into doing what they want. Because many narcissists don't foster intimate relationships, 
are in preference for fostering groups of fans and sycophants. They often end up spending a lot of time alone in old age. So legend would have it. Um, if they have offspring, they'll lean heavily on those children and use a lot of emotional blackmail to keep control of them and get what they want. The most likely escalation in behavior in old age is that their tantrums will get more and more problematic and they'll finally resort to physical violence. If you don't know it, I suggest you read The Portrait of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. It's a really interesting hypothesis where um, the narcissist stays youthful and charming, but the portrait painted of him as a young man kept in the attic becomes older, ages, un unlike the man. And as the portrait ages, it shows more and more the true hidden nature of the man and becomes more and more grotesque and ugly and devil-like. And to me, that's a bit like what happens to a narcissist. Thank you. Um, the final question. What are some of the signs that I can look out for that indicate my abuser's behavior is getting more violent? I know it might sound like a silly question, but when I'm in the thick of it, I can't tell. It is all a blur. Yeah. So first up, it's not a silly question. Let yourself off the hook for asking that question because I think most people listening to this podcast will understand just how confusing it is um, being manipulated uh, by a narcissist and being in their inner circle. It's extremely confusing um, narcissists can have people spinning in circles around them and their behavior is incredibly complex and confusing. So you use the word violent rather than the word abusive. So I'm going to assume that you're concerned about physical displays of rage. It might be helpful to think of the behavior in the ways you'd think of a toddler's behavior because that's the stage of life that most narcissistic rage resembles. So it'll start with banging their feet on the floor or their fists on the table like a toddler temper tantrum and then slowly escalate over time, throwing things, picking things up to use as projectiles, hurting animals, destroying property, pinching, spitting, biting, scratching, or pretending to punch or hit by accident, then claiming they didn't mean to do it. The safest thing to do is to leave the room when this happens, unless you're trained in the restraint of violent people. When it escalates to kicking, punching, or other close protracted uh, physical violence, then you are perfectly entitled to head off to the police and report it to the police. If they try to strangle you, the game is over. This is the single biggest indicator 
that next time they'll kill you. Strangulation is appears in all the statistics for domestic abuse as being the final indicator. Um, it's often reported to police in domestic abuse circumstances in Australia. The police actually can't do anything about it, so it's up to the victim to remove themselves from the violent person. Um, but yeah, the, the women, one woman a week is killed in Australia by an abusive partner. And everything indicates that the prior to being murdered by her ex-partner, the violence uh, had escalated to strangulation. So any people working in this field will tell you that strangulation is the single most, uh, the th single biggest indicator that the time has come for you to absolutely escape from this person. You cannot be around this person anymore. Thank you. That's very important to say out loud and in very clear words. Yeah, so that was the final question. Thank you for everyone listening and thank you, Nikki, for coming to this episode and answering all these questions today. Uh, thank you for having me and I hope that I answer them to the satisfaction of the questioners. <laughs> <laughs>